Hi, I'm Tara. And I'm Steph. And we're from Kobo Writing Life, Kobo's free, fast and easy self-publishing platform. KWL was built by authors for authors. And our team of dedicated book lovers is always working hard to help authors reach new readers around the world. With Kobo Writing Life, authors can now publish audiobooks and ebooks right in their KWL account. We don't ask for exclusivity, and you'll always control your pricing in up to 16 currencies. You can also create a pre-order for your audio and ebooks with no date limitations. We have a lot of great promotional opportunities for Kobo Writing Life authors available in the Promotions tab right in their KWL dashboard. If you're an author and you don't have access to the Promotions or Audiobooks tab, email us at writinglife@kobo.com and we'll get you sorted. We're all about providing excellent support. Create your free account today at kobo.com slash writinglife. If you want to learn more about Kobo Writing Life, check out our blog, podcast, and find us on social. Happy writing! J.K. Rowling was nearly homeless when she wrote the first Harry Potter book. Stephen King penned Carrie in a small desk wedged between a washer and dryer. James Patterson worked in advertising and famously crafted the Toys R Us theme song long before becoming an author. Join New York Times bestseller J.D. Barker and indie powerhouses Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon as they pull back the curtain on some of the world's most prolific authors. Where do they start? What is their process? The biggest names in publishing all have origin stories, all have tips and secrets. What does it take to consistently top the best seller lists and become a household name? Get your notepad out, school's in session. This is Writer's Inc. It's like, it's like being a Kardashian, just cameras everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> you ever been in that show? <laughs> no. <laughs> Have you? <laughs> I haven't even watched it. I've never never once watched that thing. Any I, of uh-huh. like I, I would know I, a Kardashian I'm, if they smack me in the face. I swear to the, God. The, I close, the, the closest I've, I've been to them is, you know, I, I watched the OJ trial and I remember their dad and he was good. <laughs> but, you know, they were probably, yeah, I, I think Kim was, God, what, 10, 15 at the most or something back then? Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. But, yeah, they're, they're famous literally for being famous, which you, you got to respect them for being able to do that. But I don't have to watch it if, if I, I don't have a gun to my head. Welcome to the Celebrity Stalker podcast. Uh, we might as well... <laughs> We might as well get into it. <laughs> What's up, fellas? What are you doing, Zach? Man, well, today as we record is my uh, my five year anniversary since I walked out of my day job. Oh, okay, congratulations! Full time author. Yeah, I'm I'm still I'm still at it. Have as I tell people, I haven't missed a bill yet. So, so uh, yeah, so that's been that's been kind of cool. So how, how do you um, how do you celebrate something like that? Is there cake or is it government cheese? Like I guess it depends on how the, the career is going for you. <laughs> <laughs> I went and had myself a brevet at my favorite coffee shop and did some book planning. That's how I celebrated. So. There you go. Nice. But uh, but yeah, so that's going on. Um, my latest Dead South book is out now. As we're as this is come as we're recording, it's been out for I guess a little over a week now. That's doing pretty good. Um, I have my book bub, so I told people I'd update on that. Uh, it went well. I mean, they definitely it definitely does not have the impact that I feel like it used to, uh, but it still did really well. I think one thing that helped me was I also discounted books two and three in that series and took them down to 99 cents and did like I did Kindle countdown deals on those. So it was only in the US and the UK, which is where most of my sales come from anyway. And, um, and th- those have sold through a lot, which has been really, really good. Uh, so, I mean, I'm definitely like g- in the black and made the money back. And I, and every time I do this, I see a residual effect for about a month, month and a half, two months, sometimes up to three. But, uh, 
but it's been good. Like it, it's it's gone really well. This is the second time this book has been up for that. So I feel like box sets probably still do better. But and this was just a book one. But we'll see over the next couple of months what the residual effects are. I, I do quite a few book bubs, and I've noticed just a diminishing return on those. You know, pretty yeah. much since my my very first one. I'm sure if I stacked them all up next to each other and took the first one in you know 2000, whenever it was, 15, 16, um, it's probably maybe half the returns that I used to get, if, if even that. Um, to no fault of theirs. I mean, I think just it's just the current environment. There's a lot of different factors going on. I, I had a Kindle Daily deal. Have you ever had one of those? I've never had one of those. No. Yeah. So no. that that was interesting. So they they did it on Six Wicked Child. Um, you know, so it's the third book in a series that they they actually ran it on. Um, I didn't actually see it, so I've got no idea wh- where they priced it. And like, I didn't see any of that info. I, if, if it was in one of the emails they sent, I missed it. Um, but I think I they the usually do a dollar ninety nine. Yeah, that seems about right. Yeah. Um, it, it took it from, I think it was like 20000 or so in the, the Kindle store um, before, and it took it all the way down to like 140 or 150 like in that range for about a day or so, and then you know slowly kind of trickled back, and I, I, it's hanging in the high like teens at this point. Um, but, you know, fairly fairly receptive. It, it seemed to do well. I, like, I, I got a better feeling out of it than I, than I have out of recent book bubs. Um, but unfortunately, there's, there's not much you can really do to get one of those. You know, you just kind of sign up and, and cross your fingers, and you get this, you know, yeah. automated email that looks like it was drafted 15 years ago um that yeah you, i think I, I, I think i peaked at like 445 or something like that with this one which isn't bad um the best i've ever done on a book bub is i got up to like 120 um uh, and that was probably four or five years ago i would say um but uh but so you know the more times you do the same book obviously you're gonna see dimension returns but uh but yeah, I mean, it's still definitely worth doing. I mean, as far as getting, you know, I mean, I, I, I the way I'm looking at it is book one. This is a long series. I was able to discount those other two books, which is like one advantage to having a long series because there's six books out in that series. So there's still, there were three full price behind it for people to buy. And um, obviously all those books will go up to full price again and they should continue to stick an algorithm and sell and stuff. So, um, but uh but yeah, so that's uh, that's been going on. I had an audio book come out in that series. It's been, I got a lot of stuff. I have like four things coming up this month, so it's been kind of crazy. I was just going to add on the, the Kindle Daily deal, one of the things that I noticed, you know, with this being the third book in the series, it did light up the first two. Um, so I guess people picked up the, the third one, you know, on, on the deal and then just went out there and just bought the other ones. And, and they're at full price, you know, they're traditionally published, so they're between 9 and $10 each, so... You know, it, it, I guess it does work in reverse a little bit. You don't necessarily have to go out there for the, the first title in a series. Um, it, it still works if you go with a, a later one, which is kind of neat. Yeah, I've heard that. I've never tried that, but I've heard I've, – because I've always thought it was weird when I see like a book two or something on a book bub uh, as a feature deal. But I guess like if you see that and you get interested, you buy the first one and the second one. You know, I guess probably a lot of people do that. So I don't know. But I've never I've never submitted like anything later than a book one before. Yeah. Um, what else is going on? Uh, Death Black of the Black Widow, Widow is out. Yeah, it's 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 doing good. It, it was um, I think the highest it got I saw it at fourteen in the overall Kindle store, um, nice. which is pretty strong. Um, I know they're pushing the paperback really hard on this one, which is selfishly like I, I really want that number one New York Times bestseller thing. And and Jim had said that if we push the paperback, you know, with a brand new release, there's a lot better shot of actually hitting that. Um, particularly, uh, you know, in this this past week, there's a lot of like serious competition out there on the hardcover side. Um, so we'll see. But you know, the the problem with that is there's like there's, there's zero visibility. You know, like I can see where it's at in the Kindle store, um, but that doesn't really translate into where it's going to end up on the New York Times list because, 
you know, paperback sales, obviously those are happening at Walmart and at Target and, you know, various bookstores and places where you just, you can't see it. Um, so we'll see. Is, is that why there's the, the, the emblem on the first time in print? Is that sort of to drive demand for the paperback? Yeah, so they, they basically, all of their advertising, and I'm probably giving away trade secrets here, but basically all the you know, advertising that they're running from a publisher standpoint is all geared towards the paperback. So if you click okay. on a link on Facebook or something, okay. it's going to drive you towards that paperback. Um, there is a hardcover available, and you can buy it, but it's you know, the only reason they do that is for libraries and the you know places like that, that that have to buy one. It's a library binding. It's not you know, They're still selling it at a normal hardcover price, but you know they're just not pushing it the way that they would. And, and with other titles where we focused on the hardcover, it was, you know, that was the reverse. So every link pointed at the hardcover. All the advertising went to the hardcover. Um, so we'll see. I, I don't know what our competition is. You know, it's it's difficult to, to gauge that, especially on the, the paperback side. Yeah, I mean it's it's not it, it's it's not a lie. It's not dishonest, but it caught my attention because like oh, first time in print, it made me think like was this a book I didn't know about? And, and so I wonder if that like if that's yeah. It, like I said, it's it's is the first time in print, but I typically see that on like reissues or um, movie tie-ins or, or something like that with, with a book that's already been released. Yeah, I think they, I didn't ask the question, but I think they did that because normally they release in, in you know, his world, they release the paperback, you know, six months to a year after the hardcover comes oh. out. So you can't get it on day one. Okay. In this case, they, you know, all of the different versions all came out on the same day. Hmm. So I think that's why they, they didn't want people to, to think it was, you know, a, a six month old book. Interesting. Okay. That's so we need to go buy the paperback, Jay. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You need to buy about fifty copies of the paperback. All right. Everybody out there. <laughs> <laughs> My dad forwarded me the email, like that he got from Amazon. So he he was like, "Yeah, this is your buddy. They're working like, yeah, it. That's him." Yeah. So. <laughs> good. Good to know it's out there. Um, speaking of marketing stuff, are, are book trailers still a thing? Like, you guys know, know anybody that's actually doing those? I, I've seen them around. I don't know how were they, they are. ever a thing? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I looked at them real early on because, you know, I, I, I like the idea of it. Um, but then when I started watching them, you know, like my general impression was unless you've got a multi-million dollar budget where you can compete with a film trailer, like they just always seem subpar to me. Um, and, you know, like I, I, I just the reason I'm bringing it up is an author friend emailed me. She's got a, a trilogy coming out and she sent me three book trailers that she paid for. And I think she paid about a thousand bucks a piece for them. Um, and, and they're OK, you know, from a book trailer standpoint. I mean, it's good music, but like, you know, the graphics are, you know, just it's not a film trailer, um, you know. So like immediately it just it, it, to me, it doesn't grab me. Um, and, and, you know, it, it's weird because to me, it doesn't actually communicate the book. Like when I watch a book trailer, I don't feel like they're trying to sell me a book anymore. It feels like yeah. they're trying to sell me something else. Yep. Um, and I don't know if that's just an interpretation because now you've got, you know, it's, uh, you know, visual and all these other different things going on in the music. But yeah, so we'll see. I was just curious because like I, I haven't even heard like nobody's even brought up like book trailers in, in my world in probably like six months to a year. And like all of a sudden I got three of them that popped up from a friend and, you know, she started telling me about other people that are doing them. And I'm not sure if people are just circling back to those because they're trying to capitalize on TikTok and some of the more visual things. Um, I don't know. I was just curious if you guys have run into them. Yeah, I I I don't know anyone really who's had success with them before. I feel the same way you do. It feels like at that point you're trying to sell somebody something that it's not. <laughs> like I, I feel like that's one of those things that authors do because it looks cool and they think it's a cool idea, but it doesn't really convert. I, I think that that and to me it just kind of unless you can do it on your own and do like a really good job if you have video production, I'd probably spend my money elsewhere personally. 
All right. Uh, what else? Uh, just looking at my notes. Um, oh, I, I was listening to self-publishing formula. They had uh, Johnny B. Truant on there. I don't know if you guys have heard him on it. Yeah, he was on Joanna not too long ago. Um, but he's got a, a show coming out called Fat Vampire. Um, and they were talking about contracts. And I, there was one thing that came up, and I've heard this come up a couple of times before. So I just figured I would address it on here because this is the only soapbox that I've got. Um, you know, a lot of times when a movie or a TV show comes out, you'll see a, a, a tie-in novel in, in the store. You know, have, it'll have a picture of Tom Cruise or whoever on the cover and some, you know, some screen grab from the, the film production. Um, one of the questions that it seems to, that, that came up, like in the indie world, like is how, how does that work? Like, do you reach out to the film company? Do they send you a new graphic for your cover and then you can reissue it? Um, that seems to be the general thinking. But if you actually break down a film contract, that's not the way that it works. There, there's actually there's a clause and it's usually very small and it's usually buried somewhere in the contract for, for novelization. Um, if you sign that contract without wiping out that particular clause, the movie, film company, production company, whoever behind it, actually has the rights to put out a book based on the movie. Um, so they can go out there, they can write a brand new book um, that basically follows the script from, from their feature film, even if it's word for word, you know, identical to your original novel, and they can put it up on the shelf, and you as the author will not see a penny of that because your contract basically covers it as something they're allowed to do, and it's paid for in the, the various dollars that they're already giving you. Um, you know, and it's again, it's like one sentence that you, it's been in every single film TV contract that I've had. It's a very small little clause. And if, you know, you don't have somebody looking for it, it will get gl glossed over and you're going to end up leaving a, a lot of money on the table. So I just wanted to address that. Hmm. My question is that like, so why, like, why would they do that though? Like what, like, like, so let's take, let's take like Bird Box, for example, like when they made Bird Box, why would they why would they do a novelization on Bird Box instead of just promoting the original book? I mean, I know what your answer is. I guess it's a money grab, but like it's still that doesn't make sense to me. Like if you're adapting the book because you liked the material in the book, that just I don't know, that doesn't make sense to me. Well, it's because the film studio has the right to the the images from the the film. So in this case, and, and I don't have Josh's contract in front of me, so I have no idea. How I'm just like throwing that out there yeah, as an just, example. Yeah, yeah. As, as an example. So you know that book, let's say, was out there with Sandra Bullock on the cover wearing a blindfold. Um, you know that image came from the film, which means the production company behind it actually owns that particular image. Um, so unless Josh had an adjustment made in his contract, they're putting that book out there. They're making all the money on it. Josh isn't. Um, and that doesn't mean people aren't going to go out there and buy his particular version of it because that still may be available on you know Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all the you know usual suspects. Um, but when they're walking through the bookstore at the airport, and you know that's going to be the one that they they grab. And most people won't notice the difference. You know, like if there's two of them, you've got the original cover right next to this new one tied into the film. Most people you know won't realize that there's any difference between them, and there may or may not be. Um, but there's a good chance they're going to pick up the one that's got you know the star that they recognize on the cover over the other one. I, I misunderstood you because you said the film studio could write a book. I think you meant they could publish the same book with a different cover. No, that's the thing. They they actually can write a book. Oh, okay. They, they, okay. Can, they, they can hire somebody to write a book from scratch if, if they want to do that based on their, their film script, um, which may or may not be different from the original. Um, even if there's 99% of the material is, is identical because you're basically giving up that right in, in your contract. You're giving them the ability huh. to, to do that. Um, it's just it's one of those things that they, they sneak past a lot of people. And if you don't have somebody out there that's looking out for you that knows to watch for it, it, it can happen. Wow. 
And again, we're not we're not saying this happened to Josh because Josh and I actually have the same agents all across the board, and you know the same people that flag it for me. I'm sure flagged it for him, and he was probably yeah. fine there. Um, but I'm but I'm sure if you know if you're an indie author, you've got a, a movie being made from your your indie published title, and you you know may or may not have an attorney going over that. There's a very good chance you're going to just sign on the dotted line because you're all excited about this movie being made, and and not realize that you're you know that they've got the ability to do that. Yeah. Again, I was just I, I know you're just clarifying, but I was just using Bird Box as an example, and actually I remember when they did change the cover over my Kindle updated to the cover with the movie tie-in. So I'm pretty sure he was good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I, I don't want to say for a fact, but you know, I'm, I'm like 99.9% positive just because we've literally got the same people looking yeah. at those things. Yeah. That's interesting though. Either way. That's really fascinating. Yeah. It's just, I've heard it come up on a couple different podcasts, including with, with Johnny. So, you know, I figured I'd talk about it. Nice. Nice. Well, uh, Zach and I kind of have a book out, sort of. Uh, <laughs> it came out Friday as, as you're listening to this in real time. Uh, it's called Curse of the Spiral. It's a short story anthology uh, that was based on our Witches of Salem event. So uh, we'll have a link in the show notes if folks want to check that out. That was that was a lot of fun to put together. Um, yeah, also this week, uh, BookCoin released their Meta Librarian card, which is kind of interesting. Uh, you know, I'm in that community, and... Man, it's I gotta say it's a great place to go if you're an author and you you don't like this whole NFT crypto blockchain. If that all sounds like a um, foreign language to you, um, Bookcoin's a great great one to follow because they're they're really taking a slow sort of long term approach to this, uh, and they're really resourcing a lot of what they're doing. And it's been it's been really cool to watch them roll this out. So I just want to give them a shout out in case anyone wanted to learn a little bit more about. Um, how this might affect authors. Bookcoin's a, a great, uh, great company to follow. Uh, we also got uh, Summit tickets are still on sale. So if you are interested in coming to the Summit in September, that's at theauthorlife.com slash summit 2022. And uh, we want to give our friends over there at Autocrit, Gareth and the team, a, a nice shout out. They're doing a free writing challenge from May 3rd to May 17th, uh, which will include some prizes for people who complete the challenge. So that is at autocrit.com slash challenge 2022, and we'll have that link in the show notes as well. So uh, let's uh, give a, a nice shout out to our wonderful sponsors over there at Kobo, and then we will get into the Q&A this week. Uh, if you are publishing a book wide, you absolutely must go to Kobo Writing Life. Uh, you get the promotions tab and uh, set your prices in all the different countries. And as we all know, no exclusivity required. So if you have not yet signed up for your free Kobo Writing Life account, you can do that at KoboWritingLife.com. And that takes us to the Q&A portion, Zach. All right. <clears throat> so let's just get into it, and we'll start with a question from our friend Stephanie Bond. Stephanie says, hey, guys, just wondering how much your children are involved in your writing business and or how much you plan to get them involved in the future. Would you discourage them from pursuing writing full time? JD, you're collaborating on your newest novel with your daughter, right? <laughs> She's first drafting well, it, correct? <laughs> she, she, she helps out. She just came in here with her, her little Fisher-Price ice cream cart and, and brought me a plastic ice cream cone. Oh, nice. Um, nice. It's funny because I, I catch her like we, we kind of trained her early on and I'm like I'm so spoiled with this but like she understands when my doors closed dad is in there working and, and yeah. she's not really supposed to come in here which is, is great um, but every once in a while like I'll come into my office and I'll, I'll find her sitting at my desk and like she's typing on my, my Mac so I, I, I purposely have to leave it on the screen like if I walk away where you know that's not going to cause any problems but like she calls, calls it my EFG 
Um, and, you know, she'll tell me, I'm, Dad, I'm making the words for you so you don't have to and, and stuff like that, you know, which is just really, really cute. Um, I don't think she quite understands that, that Dada writes books just yet. Um, she loves books. She reads like two of them every night with, with her mom and, um, you know, before bed. But, um, I don't, I don't think she's quite there, but I, I think she, you know, she, she's getting there for sure. Like she appreciates what we're doing. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I, I, I will definitely encourage her if that's something she wants to do. I mean, cause I, I think I've talked about it before. My parents did not, they, they saw it as a, a hobby, something you couldn't make a living at. Um, and, and vampires literally paid for my house. So <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, mom and dad, but you know, you, you can do all right with it. Um, so, you know, we, we've got a college fund and all that, that kind of stuff set up for her. But if she told me she wanted to forego all of that and just kind of go into the family business, I would be totally on board with it. Yeah. I mean, you and I are in similar positions where we have younger kids. Uh, Jay has basically adult children at this point. So almost, uh, Oh, I'm getting close, but yeah, I'll just answer. Like, I'm very similar to you, JD, where I'm, you know, my, my daughter is going to be eight in July. So she's, she definitely has a grasp of what I do. Like she loves telling people I write books. And I think I've told the story on here, how like we sat on my couch and she's rewritten the stories on my wall behind me, like just by looking at the covers and stuff. And, um, but yeah, I'm the same way. Like I would definitely encourage it if she wanted to do that. Um, she's definitely got the creative mind. I th- she's really got an ear for music, um, which me and her mom both have that uh, in us as well. So, um, but she's definitely not involved yet, but we'll see one day. Now, Jay, what about you? Yes. Uh, yes, yes. And yes. Uh, <laughs> my, my son does post-production and show notes on this podcast. Uh, he he was on an after show episodes on the Consequences of Rock podcast with me. I'm talking to my daughter right now about uh, about doing a possible podcast. Um, she did a little work for some authors. Uh, so yeah, I mean, generally speaking, uh, my wife and I have always taken the the parental approach in that we don't we don't force things on our kids and we don't discourage them. Uh, we 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 present opportunities and then. We kind of see where their interests lie, and then when we see a spark or we see a direction that they want to go, we try and foster that, and then we try and encourage that. Um, but I, I would never discourage either of my kids from doing anything if they if they felt strongly about it. And like I said, that's just a parenting style. Um, that being said, I think both my kids are really good writers. They're both better than me. Uh, my daughter seems to have a uh, have a have a knack for writing um, poetry and songs so um yeah who knows we'll see where it goes yeah and your your son's been kicking ass behind the scenes for god like three years now for different podcasts we've been doing something like that yeah so. yeah he's been doing the show notes for a while yeah he's been doing it for a minute so all right so uh chris christopher wills of course is back with a question he says a question for each of you what one writing skill would you like to improve about your own fiction writing? We'll start with JD on that one since Jay just talked. Yikes. Um, I mean, I'm He's perfect already. He <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's already all dialed in 100%. <laughs> You're going to hit number two on the list now that you just said that again. Prob- prob- <laughs> probably. Right behind Crawdaddies. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> that damn book, man. It's been the bane of my existence since I started hitting that list. It just won't go away. Um, I, you know, characterization for me is, is always a, a thing. I, I think it can always be improved. You know, every time I think I've got it figured out, I, I pick up a book and, and somebody does something a little bit different and I go, oh, crap, how did they come up with that and why didn't I? Um, you know, just I'm, I'm always learning. And the funny thing is, you know, for I've been finding a lot of really cool ideas reading very old stuff. Um, you know, so the, the classics like Treasure Island and you know a lot of a lot of Dickens and and just some of those and and I don't know why, but for me they they seem to have been a little bit better at that back then, and it, it could be because there were less distractions in the world, like less other things to write about, like the stories had to be about the people. Um, but for you know, so I, I've been kind of digging into those quite a bit and, and taking some notes, but yeah, characterization for me, I, I'm you know it, it's never going to be exactly where I want it to be. What about you, Jay? Uh I, I still think dialogue is where I have, you know, the most um, amount of work to do. That's that's where I kind of focus a lot of my uh, craft energy these days is is dialogue. I think I've talked about that before, too. Yeah, I think for me, there's not really one answer to this question because I feel like this is kind of cyclical for me where I go in and out of phases where I'm working on different things because I, I feel like all of it can improve, you know. Um, lately, I would say I've probably been working most on characterization, um, similar with JC, JD. I don't know why I called you JC. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll change it. It's cool. <laughs> Happy Easter. <laughs> but, but, um, but anyways, uh, characterization is one of, is probably been my big one lately and just trying to really improve on writing more dynamic and, and well-rounded and relatable characters that people are very interested in. That's kind of been my real big focus lately. So, all right. Um, we'll go to Michelle Tracy Berger, good friend of ours too, has a couple of questions here. Um, her first one is, is there something you've been wanting that represents a level up investment for your writing life? Um, such as joining an exclusive mastermind, going to a new conference, buying a new computer, et cetera, that you'd like to do by the end of the year. Jay, you're nodding your head. So do you have one of those? Yeah, I'm doing a couple of those. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't, um, for, for, for reasons that might be weird, I'm not going to mention specifically, but I'm, uh, I, I joined a, a, a mastermind last year. It's more business oriented than, than like craft related. Uh, but it also ties into a lot of Web3 stuff, and uh, I'm, I'm going to um, an, an event that's kind of tied to it as well. So it's not it's not so much that I'm wanting to do it. I've, I've kind of already paid for it. I'm looking forward to it. But uh, yeah, in that in that vein, for sure. JD? I, I'm kind of taking that by reverse. Like, I'm actually backing out a lot of, out of those kind of things. You know, I, I've kind of just spread myself too thin. You know, I was mentoring a lot of people. I'm on the board with um, international thriller writers. I, I work with several several different companies. And, you know, we've got a real estate business. We've got so many different things going on. And, like, every one of those, you know, if, even if they only take five minutes out of your day, that's five minutes gone. And it, it all just starts to add up. Um, you know, there's a million different things I would like to do like that. But at the same time, you know, like, I, I just really need to get back and, and focus 100% on the writing because that's what got me to what I'm, you know, where I'm at now. And I, I don't want to lose focus of that. And it, it kind of, it's gotten easy to do that. I get a lot of people asking me to do things now and, you know, it's difficult to say no to some of them. Um, but I've gotten better at saying no. I'm kind of the same boat where I'm kind of like not trying to do a lot of that stuff right now too. You know, I mean, she, one thing she mentioned about like a conference, I was really looking forward to going to the Thriller Fest, but I just have 
personal commitments that are making that impossible for me to make it there. Um, so I'm sad I won't be there with you guys for that. Um, but you know, this isn't necessarily something that's going to level up my writing light, my, like my writing specifically, but I would say my business, but pretty much like my big investment I'm making right now is in audiobooks and, and just trying to get my whole dead South series and audio and then, um, eventually have it as an audio box set. That's kind of my, that's my big investment right now that I think is going to be a big level up for my business. So I'm already seeing as each book comes out, I'm already seeing my audio numbers just continue to grow, which is really good. So, um, for me, that's, that, that would kind of be the answer for that. So let's go to this other one for Michelle. And, uh, this one, I will have no answer on. This is definitely a question for the both of you. Um, I'm going to a conference that has a pitch fest where you have five minutes, uh, three minutes to speak and two minutes for editor to respond to pitch your project to editors and agents. Have any of you taken part in a pitch session? The conference organizers have provided some guidelines, but I'd love to hear any tips. I'm pitching a nonfiction book proposal. Uh, JD, let's start with you on that one. Man, so I've been on both ends of the spectrum. So yeah. I, I, I did a pitch fest. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think it was the Writer's Digest conference, and it was right before I, I sold, um, before Forsaken came out. Um, and I pitched that, and I also pitched a, a nonfiction project. Um, and it, it's scary, you know, to, like, get in there and, you know, just and, and basically, you know, give your elevator pitch to a total stranger, you know, try and sell them on this idea. Like, it is just so tough to do, um, you know, and I, I did my best. I worked that room. I got a ton of business cards, you know, looking back on it. I think a lot of those agents are just sort of polite and they kind of hand out their card, you know, and they may or may not actually be interested in the product. Uh, but who knows? Um, but this year, like, you know, I, I'm obviously a little bit past that and I'm uh, with uh, Thriller Fest. Um, I'm actually teaching a class with authors before they go into Pitch Fest. Um, so they're going to run their pitches by me and several other authors and, and agents, you know, people on, on the, the other side of that. And we're going to help them fine tune their pitch and hopefully get their comfort level, you know, a little bit higher than it might be if they just walked in there cold. Um, and it's something new. I don't think ITW has done that before. And I, I wish I would have had that, you know, walking into that, that one, you know, it's the only session like that I ever did. Um, but, you know, I had nothing to base it on, you know, like I, I had a couple of friends that I'd gone through the process before, but it's just, you know, they were just as nervous as I was walking in there. Like nobody really has any real advice for that. Um, so I'm hoping this time, you know, with this, this particular program, we can you know, offer some of that advice, take the nerves down a little bit and, you know, make it a little bit easier on everybody. We'll see. Well, I did pitch fest a couple of years ago. Thriller fest. Uh, I think I got in front of 11 or 12 Agents, something like that. Um, this was a, a post-apocalyptic book, so not nonfiction, Michelle. But um, and out of all but one of those requested either a full or partial manuscript, and uh, the ones who requested the full read it. Now the the book didn't cut the mustard for them, so I, I you know uh, the book wasn't the right book. But I felt like I was pretty successful in pitch fest because the whole idea is just to get them to to look at it, to look at something. Um, so I don't know if this will be helpful for her or not, but um, I can just share my, uh, I'll, t I'll tell you what a few things I did I think helped me. Um, the first one was I kept my pitch extremely short. Um, I noticed in the room most of the other authors just rambled and rambled and rambled about characters and setting and, and those agents are sitting there for hours and uh, they start to glaze over. So I tried to come up with a very succinct log line, a, a two to three sentence premise and then kind of sat back and and just let them ask me questions or not. Um, I, I felt like that really worked. Uh, 
for me. I was also, um, I tried not to memorize stuff. I didn't have note cards. Uh, I didn't have a paper. I looked them in the eye and I, and I talked to them as if we were having a conversation. Um, again, I didn't see that in the room. I saw a lot of people with note cards or, or notebooks or sort of a, a prepared presentation. Um, and I just, um, I don't know how well that works. I mean, JD, maybe you have some, you know, information from the other side, but those couple things I think made a difference for me. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's the same as, you know, any conversation. Like if you can actually turn it into a conversation, I think it's going to be a lot more beneficial rather than you talking at somebody, um, you know, giving, giving a speech, giving a spiel. And, you know, if, if you're nervous, at least in my case, I end up talking, you know, faster than I actually talk now and I get faster and faster and faster. And if I'm reading a particular pitch and trying to get that across, like it just, it, it just doesn't work. Um, as a skill set like this is just, it's so very important though, because you know, you're going to find yourself in this situation many times during your, your author career. And if you're, you know, not, pitching to an agent you're pitching to a film studio or you're pitching to this person or you're pitching to that person or you're running into somebody at the bar that might be able to help you and you have to give them your pitch but you know you, you do need to fine-tune it and the more the more you do it the, the better you're going to get yeah that was the one thing i um, i'm going to follow up on that uh, i also want to mention is that you can't be uh you can't be set on your pitch because um it will get better each time you do it and 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 I think this is something ITW probably recommended or someone recommended this to me was uh, start with the agents who are not at the top of your list. I know this sounds kind of cruel, but like you kind of get to practice your pitch and like hone it in so that when you get to like the agents who are at the top of your list, you kind of have it smoothed and, and worked out. JD, it's gonna he's gonna be like uh, turn this into like American Idol of the book industry. He's gonna be like Simon Cowell. <laughs> That sucks. That's the worst pitch I've ever heard. It's it's like speed dating. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It is. It's it's not easy. It's definitely not easy. Yeah. All right. So let's go with one more here to wrap it up. We'll go to our friend, uh, Miss Catherine. uh, And she says, having talked with so many authors at this point, what seems to be the same thing or advice all of them say or do besides that they write books? Jay, I'll start with you on that one. Well, if I if I think back over all the dozens of interviews that I've done for this show, what I've hear consistently every single time is that it's butt in chair, it's consistency, you just keep going. And the people who do it will outlast the, the people who don't. That's not a judgment on your lifestyle or the amount of time you have or your level of income. It is just what I've heard over and over and over again, that the most successful writers are the ones who write successfully all the time. Yeah, I was listening to um, Six Figure Authors. Um, yeah, I, I think it was their final episode, by the way, so I'm a little sad about that because it was one of my, my favorite podcasts. Um, but one of the things they brought up, it's exactly what you just said. You know, it's, it's all about you know, just getting the work done. Um, I think you need to figure out where your lane is, like straight off the bat. You need to figure out what your brand is going to be. Um, I think that's very helpful because otherwise, you know, you're just kind of flubbing around in, in the weeds until you, you hone in on that. And then, then you can kind of zero in on where you need to go. So the faster you capture your brand and, and decide what it is you want to be or who you want 
want to be as a writer, what style you want your, your books to be, that kind of thing. Um, I think that the, the faster you're going to start doing well with it. But yeah, it's, it's all about just getting your butt in that chair, doing the work every single day, keeping your head down, not letting the noise get to you, you know, good reviews, bad reviews, whatever it might be, just every day, just make sure you pound out those words and just keep going and going, you know, increase your back catalog, get more product out there. If people are saying no on the first book, the second book, the third book, you know, every time you write a book, you're getting better, you know, or hopefully you are, as long as you're taking advice and you're, you're trying to use it as a learning process. And, and sooner or later, people will start saying yes. I agree. I mean, I echo exactly what you guys said. I mean, it, I was going to say consistency. Like that was, that's a hundred percent it. I mean, getting your butt in the chair and doing the work and, you know, I'll add to like, trying not, especially if you're newer and you're just getting started, like try not to get distracted by other stuff that just doesn't matter as much. I mean, like JD said, you need to build your brand, but it's really easy for newer authors to like, you know, uh, say that being on Facebook or whatever is work time, you know, and they, and to, and to say that, and you, you, you know, do that a little bit, but make sure you're writing, writing and don't also don't get caught up in looking for the perfect software and the perfect editing of software and writing software and like all this stuff, just sit down and write and do that consistently and build that habit. And I mean, that is, that's the best thing you can do. I totally agree. You know, it's funny because if you dig into a lot of the interviews that, that Jay has done, you know, like you know, we've got some of the biggest names in the, in the industry on, on the show or we've had them. Um, very few of them do Facebook. You know, very few of them even use Scrivener. You know, they're, they're writing in, in Word. You know, like they, they're taking it down to the bare bones. And, you know, partially because that's, you know, they've been doing it that way for, for so long. But, yeah, they're, they're, they're not letting any of these various things distract them um, and, and keep them from getting the job done. They're just, they're, they're, hitting, they're going at it every single day. And that's what you've got to do. Awesome. So that wraps up our questions for this week. So, uh, Jay. Who do we got next week coming up? Next week we have Deli Delilah Owens, the author of Where the Crawdads Sing. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I, here I am. I'm glancing over at my schedule like, do we? I don't, I don't remember booking that one, but okay. Adelia, <laughs> that that's not a slight on you if you're listening. That's a joke on JD from earlier in the show. <laughs> my friend, I have a friend. My friend Randa has that book on her TV stand, and I'm never going to look at it the same now. I'm going to actually go get a Dude, copy it's of The Noise. It's got 218,000 right reviews. It's, it's amazing. It's been crazy. I, I don't know how many weeks it spent uh, on, on the Times list the first go around. Wow. Uh, but now, they, now they've got a film coming out, so it's, it's hitting the list all over again. It, was, it, it knocked uh, Patterson and Dolly Parton, I think, out of the number yeah. one spot. Um, amazing. And it's number one. Yeah, it's number one all across the board. Yeah, it's, it's been an insane ride for, for that person. So Ms. Where Owens, do they, uh, do they on sing? the show. <laughs> tell, tell us about it. <laughs> no, for, for real. Our, uh, our guest next week is uh, Meg Bowles. Meg Bowles is one of the directors of The Moth, uh, which is an incredible program. I think they're celebrating their 25th year. Uh, the Moth is a, a very sort of uh, structured live storytelling performance and they do it all over the world and uh they wrote this book that basically explains to people how the moth works and and how you can prepare uh, a talk for it so uh i think it's gonna be a great conversation it's a it's a different kind of storytelling than i think most novelists uh are familiar with but uh the the lessons still apply so it's gonna be fun all right. If you'd like to be notified as soon as new episodes publish, make sure you go to writersinkpodcast.com and sign up now. We'll see you next episode and have a great week of writing. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of Writers, Inc. Access the show notes and leave a comment at writersincpodcast.com.